Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And I want to thank the worship team for leading us this morning. That was beautiful. I have been away for a couple weeks, and it's been good. I've been spending extra time with kids and grandkids, and I've been spending some time doing my, I'm working on my last doctoral class, and then uh, I've been spending time doing my hobby. Some pastors have a hobby where they go golfing or they play tennis or something, and and, uh, I have a podcast, and so that's my hobby, and so I get to know and connect with pastors all around the world, and uh, I'm going to ask you to pray for one of the pastors that has been uh, a part of our community for years, years. She was a guest on our podcast at one point in the past. She's, a, she's an Anglican pastor from Australia. Her name is Helen Phillips, and the title that she has in the Anglican church is um, Venerable Vicar. I think it's kind of cool. I think you guys should put that on my door, Venerable Vicar. I don't know what it means, but it sounds cool. But anyway, her and her husband are both on staff at an Anglican church in Australia, and she messaged me the other day and said that she just got um, uh, a test result back where she's got an aggressive form of breast cancer, and she was very concerned about it. She was getting ready to see the oncologist. So if you would pray for her, I told her that I would share that with our church family and ask you to pray. Again, her name is Helen Phillips. If I had to guess, she's probably in her early 50s, um, and uh, that's, uh, that was a tough, I think, thing for her to find out. So would you join me in prayer? And uh, let's pray together for her. God, I do pray for Helen this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray for John, for her husband, and for their family. And God, we pray for healing. Uh, we know, Lord, that there's healing eventually, uh, but God, we pray for healing on this side of heaven. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd bring healing to her body and that she could get through this and have many more years. Uh, So, Lord, I know that uh, I've not been through this, but I know intellectually that it's very difficult to get this kind of news. Um, And some in this room understand what that is. And so we lift up Helen to you this morning. We pray that you'd bless her and heal her, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. This morning, we're going to be in John chapter 15, and we're just going to be a couple minutes till we get there, but if you grabbed a notes page from out on the table, we're going to use that this morning. John chapter 15 is that passage that talks about Jesus, where Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. So we've been seeing some produce out in the lobby on the weekends, and so when you come, I saw a a new couple that was here this morning. They just moved into town. And they walked out and they had some produce because they don't have much at home yet. they got to get their kitchen set up. And and it was kind of cool to see them take that out. There's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of produce come out of the garden and to the food pantry in town uh, this summer. And it's great to see. And I know those of you who have been in the garden and have been up there, thank you. You've been working. You've been weeding. You've been... uh, uh, harvesting, and you've been taking uh, uh, vegetables to the food pantry. What if you went up and the plants were growing all great? They looked healthy, everything looked good. There was no vegetables on them. I mean, it'd be a nice looking garden. There'd be less work because you wouldn't have to pick all oh, those beans. Oh my goodness, those beans. We had a garden years ago, 
My wife and my daughter laugh at me to this day. And uh, we had green beans, and we were picking, and my wife came over, and her or Alyssa, I don't remember one of them, and said, well, Dad, did you get the?" I said, yeah, I got this whole row here. And they bent down, and they lifted up. There's all these green beans under these leaves. Like, you didn't get them, they're laughing and mocking me, you know, and so they're, they're picking. Be a lot easier if there weren't any beans, you know? They'd be nice plants if it weren't for the beans that you have to pick, and the cherry tomatoes, and the cucumbers, and the squash. Oh, the squash, right? But that's what they're for. Those plants are there to produce. That's why we call it produce. They're there to produce because that's what the plant is for. A tomato plant is for tomatoes. A vine in a vineyard is for grapes. And the point is to be fruitful, to be abundant, to produce good grapes. So the title of this message is How to Be Fruitful as a Disciple, as a Follower of Jesus. And we've heard this. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard about God wants us to to bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be his disciples. Well, what does it mean to be fruitful? If I were to ask you as you came in the door this morning, what is Jesus talking about when he tells us that we should be fruitful? What would your answer have been? Would it have been, well, we, we have to be obedient to all of his commands. Uh, it means to talk to other people about Jesus. It means to lead other people to faith in Christ. It means to do good things. It means to give more money. It means to pray more. It just means to, just means to be busier and to do more and to see people come to Christ. That's what it means to be fruitful. And in the passage today, we're going to see Jesus is, this doesn't always happen, you guys, but he is so clear on how to be fruitful. What does it mean to be fruitful? He is very, very clear in this passage, and we're going to see it. But before we get to it, uh, I want to point you back to Isaiah chapter 5, where God, in many places in the Old Testament, but this is just one, he talks about a vineyard. And this is what he likens a vineyard to. In Isaiah 5, he is scolding his people when he says this, Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. It will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thistles and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. And then this part brings such clarity. It's so helpful. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. It's the people of God. In any given time, it's going to be the people of God. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but instead heard cries of distress. The vineyard wasn't working very well. There wasn't good fruit. He was looking for fruit. He was lifting the leaves up. No beans. No tomatoes, no squash on these squash plants. There was only cries of distress and bloodshed where he wanted goodness. In Isaiah 27, he makes this statement. He says, sing. Sing about a fruitful vineyard. 
I, the Lord, I watch over it. I water it continuously. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. Sing. They used to sing songs about a fruitful vineyard. That was such a positive thing. As a, as a farmer would sing praise to the Lord over a bountiful harvest field. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Years ago, we would take students, I've shared this before, from New York out to British Columbia, uh, which the first, the first service crowd told me was that way. Were they right? Yeah? No, second service crowd doesn't know. Well, it's, it's, it's that way. Oh, oh, somebody's pointing that way. Which way is west? Ha, this way. Okay. So we used to go to British Columbia, and I would take students there, and we used to stay at Bradley and Vivian Jack's place. They had this beautiful backyard in a grove of cherry trees. They had about 13 cherry trees just in this backyard. Beautiful cherry trees. And for half of our time in British Columbia, we'd be up in the mountains, and then the other half of the time we'd be in their backyard, we'd pitch tents among the cherry trees. Soft green grass. And the vista, wherever you would look, well, the house was on this side because the house was kind of up on a hill, but all the way around this way, there were all mountains. And in the morning, it would start getting light about 4.30, 4.15, 4.30, but the sun wouldn't come over the mountains till well after 8 o'clock. And it was just a beautiful place. And the deal was, we would stay at their place. Bradley was the chief of the Lillooet Nation. They were, uh, they were First Nations people, and uh, Vivian is his wife. And the deal was, we would stay in their backyard, and we could use their facilities and and we kind of set up camp there for a week if we would pick their cherries for them. And they had like 13 trees. And they used to get these igloo, these big igloo uh, coolers. And we used to fill up six, seven, eight of those things with cherries. And the agreement was that as long as we were picking the cherries, we could eat them. We could eat as many as we wanted while we were picking the cherries. And usually about half of us would have stomach aches before the night was over with and maybe need to use the, the Jack's home once in a while. Uh, but it was, it was beautiful. And there, was, there were a couple trees on the edges that didn't have as many cherries. They were a little smaller. The cherries weren't quite as big. There weren't as many cherries on the branches. Those trees weren't very fruitful. And I guarantee you, if one of those trees stopped producing fruit, Bradley would cut it off at the ground level, and it would, be, it would be gone. It would be gone. And they would have to prune those trees, and, and it was great. But the whole point was the cherries. In fact, the, some of those trees, the, the trees in the center, there were two or three in the center, had so many cherries on them that after you'd pick the cherries, the branches would literally lift up just a few inches because they were weighted down by the cherries. Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. And God says, you're my vineyard. You're my vineyard. And I want my vineyard to be fruitful. Jesus told several parables about vineyards in the New Testament. Before we read it, let's look at this 
this one slide. The people of God are the vineyard. We could also say it's the kingdom of God. It's the vineyard. God is tending his vineyard. It's a big picture. Jesus is the true vine. He's the root and source of life. If you go into a vineyard that's, that's been around for a while, you'll see the vine coming up from the ground is thicker than your arm. And at the top, the branches come out and the grapes grow off of those branches. And Jesus is the true vine. He's the root and the source of life. Believers in Christ are the branches that bear the fruit. And then the Father, Jesus says the Father, God the Father is, is the, uh, the gardener, the vine dresser, the uh, King James calls it the husbandman. He's the one that comes along and tends to the garden. He makes sure that it gets watered. He makes sure that it gets taken care of, that it gets pruned, that the branches get taken away and burned. He takes care of the vineyard. Now, John chapter 15, verse 1. We're going to read the passage through verse 17. And see if you can find the clear teaching of Jesus about how believers are to be fruitful. I am the true vine, and my Father, he's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he, he snips it, he prunes it, so that it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. That verse in verse 3, that word clean, is picking up on a word in verse 2, uh, so it'll be even more fruitful, actually clean it up. We're going to clean it up. We're going to clean up these, uh, these branches. We're going to clean up the vineyard. And he's saying, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. There's a word play in the Greek language that we don't pick up on in English. Verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant, he doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends because everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, 
fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. P.S. In verse 18, we're going to look at next week, it says the world is going to hate you. Hated me first, Jesus said. It's going to hate you. That's why, that's why it's nice that we love one another. Because once we go out into the world, we're not going to get love. If you didn't get it here, where would you get it? You wouldn't get it anywhere. Did you see the clear teaching here? My wife has flowers in the backyard and she picks them and puts them in a vase and puts them on the kitchen counter. And uh, she was gone for the day on Saturday and I saw the vase of flowers and I looked and they were all kind of, they were kind of droopy. Now if it was a plant, I would know that I could just add water to it and it'll, it'll spruce up. But there was already water in it, but the flowers were all droopy. And there was this one yellow flower and right underneath this yellow flower on the counter was all this yellow dust. You ever see that, right? And so I carefully picked it up and took it over to the trash and scooped the flowers out and they were good for nothing. I threw them away. And then I had to dump out the water and rinse it out and wipe up the counter. Once they get snipped off, their days are numbered. <laughs> Even if you get that little, that little mix of stuff that you put in that you know, keeps them longer, they last a few days longer. But their days are, once they get cut off, their days are numbered. If we were to get cut off from our union with Christ, our days would be numbered. Practically speaking, in terms of fruit bearing, we can cut ourselves off from Jesus. We can't cut ourselves off from the relationship he has with us. Because once we're a child of God, right? We're a child of God. But in terms of fruit bearing, we could cut ourselves off from the source, from the life that Jesus gives us so that we can bear fruit. We become just like those flowers. We're, we'll be good for a while. You ever try doing life in your own power? You ever tried driving, right, steering, your, driving your own car down the road? And there's that old Christian country song about Jesus behind the wheel. Right? We try driving the wheel, the car of our life. After a while, we start, we start going off the road, and we hear the rumble strips. Doesn't take very long. Kind of like a few days in water, the flowers just start to just start to wilt. So if you've got a notes page uh, from the table, and even if you don't, it's going to be on the screen. There's five things I want to point out to you from this passage that bring real clarity and simplicity to what it means to be fruitful as a believer. Not easy. But it's really simple. Jesus makes it so simple. Rarely does God make something so simple to understand in Scripture as Jesus does in this passage. In fact, he was in the upper room with his disciples and he was talking to them and somehow they got it down verbatim and John includes it in his gospel 
chapter 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, how lucky we are. We've got the words of Jesus clearly recorded for us. And we've been looking through them now for the last number of weeks. And we're looking at, at this one that is so clear. You've picked up on it as we've been reading it. But there's a couple little different things that you got to make sure that you connect or else you don't have the whole picture. Number one, our relationship, our connection to, and our, our rootedness in Jesus is the source. It's essential. It's the source of our fruitfulness. Once we get cut off, there's not going to be any nice flower after a while. And our connection to Jesus is going to be the source of our fruitfulness. He talks about remaining in him. In fact, there in verse 4, he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The question I have when I look at that is, what's he talking about remain? That's like ethereal. It's like up in the air somewhere. Like, what, what does he mean by remain? Yeah, yeah, we want to remain. How would we not be remaining? So he clears this up as we go along. Verse, or, or number two on your notes page, the key to remaining in Christ, our relationship with him, the key to our relationship with Jesus is our obedience to his command, his specific command to love one another. He tells us this is what it means to remain in me it's to love one another. It says in verse 9, Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And look at the next slide. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. You remember when they asked him, you know, what the greatest commandment was, and he whittled it down to two? Because there's a lot of commands in the Bible. He whittles it down to two commands. He says, all the rest of the commands hang on these two commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, love one another, not as yourself, but and he puts a different qualifier in here. Love one another as I have loved you. In the way that you've seen me love you, in these years that we've been walking together, in everything that you've seen me do, in, in the way that I've treated you and spoken to you and spent time with you and invested in you and discipled you and built you up, in that way, you need to love one another. That's my command. In fact, I'll cut to the very end of verse 17. He ends the whole, the whole passage by saying, this is my command, love each other. It, and, it, and it pops in again at the end of verse 17, almost like out of nowhere, like he just grabbed it again and stuck it back in, copied and pasted it in there because he didn't want us to miss it. This is my command. To remain in my love and to remain in me, you've got to obey my command. My command is that you love one another as I have loved you. It's that simple and that complex as that. Number three, if we love one another, we will remain in Christ the absolute essential to bearing much fruit and glorifying God. 
What's the absolute essential to bearing much fruit glorifying God? Connection to Christ. And what is connection to Christ? When we love one another. Now, this is countercultural. We talk about the intersection of faith and culture. In our culture, we're independent. We don't need each other. In our culture, forgiveness is a high virtue. It's not deserved. Grace is a high quality, a high virtue, reserved only for very special situations and people that really deserve it, and most don't. In our culture, we need to take care of ourselves, and we need to work hard and provide for ourselves and take care of ourselves. We're not to be needy. We're not to need other people. And those who need us will help only because we should and and they're needy, and that's bad, and so we want to relieve some of the bad situation they're in. Whereas Jesus says, no, you need each other. You need each other. And I want you to love one another as I have loved you. In verse, uh, or number four, it says, everyone will know that we are followers of Jesus when we love one another. What does it mean to be fruitful? In John 13, 35, he says this, By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. We might have thought that fruitfulness was leading people to Jesus. And that's certainly part of it, right? And we might think that if I haven't led somebody to Jesus in the last year, I have borne no fruit. Well, then that would be incorrect. That would be wrong. Because fruitfulness is not just leading people to Jesus. Fruitfulness is what comes out of people loving one another. It's all of the results that come out, all the ramifications, everything that is produced by love between people. That's fruitfulness in the kingdom. And we, we um, underestimate what love produces. We think, ah, yeah, 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 it's nice to be nice to people. It's whatever. It's better to get something done. Well, no. No, loving people is getting something done. And loving people will produce a result in your life, in their life, in others' lives. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples. If you love one another, all of a sudden people are going to realize, oh, they're followers of Jesus. Here's the problem that we're experiencing In the church today, we've been experiencing it for a long time. It is magnified now because we can all see each other online. We can see other churches, other congregations. We can see other people, other nations. We can see all over the world. We basically have a magnifying glass. We just turn the globe and we can see everything that's going on. And the problem with with the church is a lack of love. How many churches is there all kinds of infighting and all kinds of division and discord and uh, a good old King James term, term, enmity, right? How many church, how many denominations are now fighting about who they're going to approve and who they're not going to approve and what they're going to believe and what they're not going to believe? I mean, to the point where we've divided into so many different uh, denominations that you have a denomination like the Christian Missionary Alliance, which hardly anybody has heard of, And then another one, like I mentioned earlier, the uh, Anglican Church, which so many 
Concer- uh, what's, evangelicals haven't even heard of the Anglican Church. I don't even know what a venerable vicar is. We've divided ourselves into so many different segments. And there's a huge lack of love. So that when somebody actually comes into a room like this and sees people caring for each other to the point where, where they get hit by friendly fire, they walk in between two people and the love that they're sharing actually gets spilled on them and they feel it and they sense it and they're like, I'm not used to this. Why? Because outside of the church, there is no love in the world. There's no love in the world. There's relationship. There's networking. There's uh, people connected and leveraging each other. But there's no true, there's no true love apart from Jesus. And when people experience true love, that changes them. That's fruitfulness. Number uh, five, the unity of believers in love will show the world that God loves them through the Savior he has sent. Look there at John 17, verse 23. He says, I and them and you and me. Jesus is praying to the Father. Me, Jesus, in them, the branches. And you, Father, in me. So that they the believers, may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, the world, even as you have loved me. The world will know that they're loved when they see believers in loving unity together. We've talked about this before because Jesus keeps repeating it. Over and over, throughout these five or six chapters, Jesus says it over and over. And we try to make it so much more difficult. Yeah, but we've got to do this, we've got to do that, we've got to learn this, we've got to learn that. And Jesus is like, wait, time out, time out. I just have one command. It's almost as though Jesus could say, okay, now we've talked about this a few times, I'm not quite sure you've gotten it yet, so let's go over it one more time. There's only one command, and it's that you love each other. Love each other like you love yourself. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other. The whole world will know that you follow me if you have love for each other. When when you're in, in unity together with this triune God, in unity together as one, then the world will know that I love them, that I've sent the Savior to them. Well, that's the end. That's the end of the message. What does it mean to be fruitful? We love each other. That's where it starts. But so often what we try to do is we want to see somebody come to Jesus, but we've got these disciples that are around us that we don't like. And rather than engage them in love to get to that person, we go around those people over there, and we come over, and we tell this person about Jesus. And they listen, and they watch us, and then they watch us go back, back around that other group And it rings hollow to them because they're like, this doesn't seem right. What they said to me, it doesn't seem like it's working for them. 
So what we really have to do is we have to love each other. We have to do the hard work of loving one another as we together, sometimes together, sometimes separately, go to somebody, and then they see us walk right back into the group, and they see the unity and the love and the togetherness. They see the body. See, we never just go off like by ourselves. If we're not loving each other, we're not remaining in Jesus, and we're not going to be fruitful because we're cut off from the vine. So by ourselves, cut off from the vine, we're not going to walk around and come over here and be able to give the gospel to somebody where they're going to understand it and they're going to accept it. It's going to ring hollow to them. It's not going to ring true. So the love piece, the love piece. Now, I'm not preaching this message this morning because I think some of you aren't loving the others. I mean, I'm sure some of you aren't, just like, I mean, we all have to deal with this, right? But the more loving we can be with each other. And by the way, on the one side of the coin, it says love. But when you flip that coin over, same coin, same thing, what's on the other side? You remember? You've got love on this side. On the other side, you have truth. If there's no truth, there's no love. The same is true the other way. If there's no love, then don't talk to me about truth because they're the same thing. Love and truth. Jesus was full of, of grace and truth. So we practice here. And then we go out and we practice out there. And love paves the path to people coming to faith in Jesus. Love is the key to fruitfulness. And it starts in the body of believers. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you we give you thanks and we praise you that you loved us. Lord, as we sit here this morning, we may not feel loved because maybe the people around us, um, maybe we're not loving them or they're not loving us. But God, we know this morning that you loved us. We see the cross in the front of our auditorium. We remember the death of Jesus the love that he had for us to die on the cross for us, the love you showed us by raising him from the dead, victorious over sin, victorious over death and over hell, giving us freedom, freedom from sin. God, I pray that this week as we go out from here, you'll help us to be a, a group of believers who truly love one another, have learned how to love from Jesus, our rabbi, our teacher, our savior. God, I pray that as we love the Holy Spirit, your power would flow from us into other people, that your gospel, your good news would be so evident and so real to other people that they would come to trust in you, Lord Jesus. So God, help us where we're weak. Forgive us where we sin. Strengthen us, God to love one another as you have loved us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing our...